0: All right, so, um, uh, Pastor Matt, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, maybe your faith background? Hi, everyone. Uh, it's a real privilege to be here. I consider it a huge honor to be able to share God's Word with you today. Uh, yeah, my name is Matt, um, and I am married to my wonderful wife, Jane. Uh, she's not here with us today. We were both really looking forward to uh, visiting you guys at the World Church, but, yeah, sad times, hey? So much can change in a week. Um, But yeah, I'm married to my wife Jane. We've been married for about eight years now, um, and I currently serve at Sydney Chail Church down the road, and I pastor the English congregation there, and um, I've been doing that for about six years now, and yeah, it's been a delightful time, yeah. All right, thanks for telling us a little bit about yourself. Um, Just a couple more things, uh, similar to what we did with Pastor Dan Lee, are you able to share uh, one of your favorite Bible characters, and why? Why? um, um, Well, one of my favorite Bible characters, I can think of one from the Old and one from the New Testament. From the Old Testament, Job comes to mind. Um, When I think about Job and all he went through, I think he just inspires me so much. Um, I'm sure he had such tremendous temptation, but he stood firm and he said, no, God is God and I'm going to have it no other way. So I I really look up to and I really love Job and I really love reading Job Uh, from the New Testament. Um, it kind of sounds boring and predictable, but I would have to say it's uh, the Apostle Paul. <laughs> um, mm. I, I I love, um, I mean, obviously I love the whole Bible, but I really <laughs> like the epistles. And uh, my favorite book in the whole Bible is Romans. Um, mm. And uh, that book has really ministered to me so much. Um, every single time I think about it, I read it, I'm preaching through it right now at my own church. Uh, yeah, wow, well, Paul, he, he's the man, you know. Apparently he wasn't much to look at, but he had great faith. And um, yeah, he he just... Writes are uh, so clearly about the gospel. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's, that's really deep stuff. Um, and I'm guessing maybe this last question comes from the Book of Romans. Maybe if you love Romans so much. But do you have a life passage from the Bible? Um, and and what is it? And, and why? Yeah. Um, my life passage from the Bible is actually from Acts. Okay. uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 24, and it reads, "Um, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race Mm. and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Um, And I mean, I don't know when that became my life verse, but I remember reading it as a brand new Christian about 12 years ago, and Mm. it just, it spoke to me in such a powerful way, and ever since then, I've tried to live that verse out. Um, especially when I go through hardship or spiritual dryness um, or even seasons of sin and rebellion. I think uh, Acts 20:24 20, it, it reminds me to just get over myself, to take myself less seriously, but to take God more seriously and to just get on with it, to get on with the mission that uh, God has given me to do, which is to proclaim the gospel. And that's for all of us Christians. So Acts 20:24, 20, 24, um, every time I, I fight with my wife, Jane, every time I struggle with church members. Uh, that, that's the verse that is constantly ringing in my head, and God always uses that to humble me and to put me in place and to realign my vision to what really matters. All uh, right, that's a good one. It's uh, kind of weird, man. I'm talking to you, but I, <laughs> I, you know, I noticed you weren't on screen. If that's how it's going to be, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, Matt, um, thank you so much for being here and for being available to preach the Word of God, so I'll hand it over to you to deliver the Word Sweet. Of God. Um, Thank you, friends. Uh, it, it is a, it's a real privilege to be able to share God's Word with you. Um, uh, at, at my church, um, my people know that the, the pulpit is isn't, isn't not an open place. Um, it's actually a very exclusive place, and we don't just trust anyone to come and share God's Word with us. So, um, a big thank you to you uh, at the World Church and also Pastor Dave for trusting me to be faithful with God's Word and to serve you like this. Well, friends, uh, today's passage is found in the 24th Psalm. Uh, So I'm going to ask you to keep your Bible open there, because we're going to go through this together, and we're going to keep referring back to it. Psalm 24, Uh, friends, I'm going to pray. Please join me in prayer as we look at God's Word together. Uh, Our gracious God, our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are real, and we thank you that you speak to us. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your Word, the Bible, and we thank you that you have uh, caused your Word um, to be sustained for all those centuries. And so that we might have it in a language that we can understand now. Lord, we thank you that you speak to us in your word and through your word. Uh, Lord, we ask that you might so fill us with your spirit now, that that you might give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you might be speaking to us today. Lord, we pray that you might speak to us today in a transformative way. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, uh, around 18 years ago, in the great country of USA, there was a man called Timothy Treadwell. And 18 years ago, a guy called Tim Treadwell, he took his girlfriend into a national park in Alaska. And he took her into this national park because he wanted to show her his favorite animal, which is a grizzly bear. Uh, Tim Treadwell, he had a fascination for grizzly bears. He devoted his life to studying and enjoying grizzly bears. He studied them, researched them, and every summer he would do his best to live among grizzly bears in the national parks. Uh, Timothy Treadwell, uh, he thought he knew all about these animals and he thought he knew what he was getting them into when he took his girlfriend into that national park. Unfortunately, they never made it out alive. Timothy Treadwell and his girlfriend, they were killed by a grizzly bear. He thought he knew what he was dealing with and he thought he knew what he was getting them into when actually he had no idea. He had no idea what he was getting him and his girlfriend into. And friends, I want to ask you today, as Christians, when we come to God, do we know who we're dealing with? When we come before God every Sunday morning and gather and focus our attention on him for an hour or so, do we really know who it is that we're dealing with? Who it is that we're talking about, that we're hearing from, that we're discussing, that we're singing about? Our God is not dangerous in such a way that a grizzly bear is dangerous. It's kind of, it's very different. But Psalm 24 tells us that our God, he is Yahweh, the King of glory. The Bible speaks of God as a warrior, a warrior who crushes his enemies. God in the Bible is shown to us as one who is perfectly holy and just. He's he's a God of, of infinite glory and majesty and blazing holiness. Sometimes we read, of God wiping out entire nations, even his own people. The Bible tells us that God is the Holy One of Israel. He's is the judge. He is the all-consuming fire. God is so holy that if people mess around, they just drop dead. We see that over and over again in the Bible. Friends, I think the temptation for us Christians is to think of our God as a mere convenience. Perhaps sometimes I wonder if we view God as just a heavenly vending machine we need something so we go to him we need some outcomes in life so we put in a coin outcomes a drink we put in a prayer outcomes results i wonder if we as christians can be tempted to only approach him when we want something when something is not going our way or when we really want that job or when we really want that girl when someone we love is sick or when life is really difficult. I wonder if we start living our lives as if God exists to serve us and not the other way around. Well, friends, the writer of this psalm, he didn't see God as a mere convenience. That's clear. In this psalm, God is portrayed to us as the king of glory. He's a king, not just any king. He's the king of glory. And friends, in this psalm, we see three things about this king of glory. Three things. Why, how, and who. Firstly, why? Why we should worship the King of Glory. That's verse 1 and 2. Secondly, how? How we should worship the King of Glory. That's verse 3 to 6. And thirdly, who? Who exactly is this King of Glory? And that's shown to us in verse 7 to 10. Three-point sermon. Why, how, and who? Let's get in there. Why? Firstly, why? Why should we worship the King of Glory? Why should we worship God? Well, according to this psalm, we worship the King of Glory... Because he is the creator of the world. Because he's the creator of the world. Look with me in your Bibles at Psalm 24, verse 1 and verse 2. It reads like this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. The first point this passage makes is that Yahweh, the king of glory, is the creator of the world. Well, to give you some background to this psalm, the context was that the setting of this psalm uh, was most probably King David bringing the Ark of the Covenant back home, back to its final resting place, which is Jerusalem. Uh, As you may know, in the Old Testament, we see this, the Ark of the Covenant. It visibly showed the presence of God among His covenant people. The Ark of the Covenant was a big deal. That, That was God's manifest presence among His people, the Israelites. So, the background to this psalm It's an important day. It's a huge day. This, Psalm 24, shows us this was a unique and special occasion where the Ark of the Covenant or the presence of God was being installed in Israel's royal city. A lot of Bible commentators agree that this could have been the greatest day in King David's life. And in this Psalm, the author, King David, he is most concerned with Yahweh. Yahweh is on his mind. The focus of this psalm is on Yahweh. Yahweh is central to this poem. Yahweh, the king of glory, is the emphasis of this psalm. And we know that because in the original Hebrew text, that's the first word. Verse 1 goes like this. Yahweh owns the earth. Yahweh founded it. According to verse 1 and 2, the whole earth, the whole created order belongs to God. He owns everything. He's the great owner. He owns the earth. He owns everything and everyone on the earth. Everything belongs to God. And why? Verse 2 tells us, because he founded it upon the seas, he established it upon the rivers. He is the one and only creator of this creation. Friends, and I think an application for us is during lockdown, as we go for walks around our, our suburbs, as we look up at the night sky, or as we walk past the passing trees, as we look at the people that live on our street, as we look at the people walking their dog or playing with their children, we need to remind ourselves all of this belongs to God. Every single person, every living thing, every created thing belongs to God. Now the thing is not everyone knows that they belong to God, but the truth is they do. They might not know it yet, but they belong to God. As we look at our workmates on Zoom, as we join small groups online, As we see our uni friends back at uni, we need to remind ourselves all of this. Everything and everyone belongs to God. God has His ownership stamped on everything in this creation. And that's the first thing we see in this psalm. Why? Why should we worship the King of Glory? Because He's a creator of the world. Well, having affirmed the creative power and the supreme authority of this King of Glory, Yahweh, The psalmist now turns his gaze upon the creature who seeks to worship the creator. The second point is this, how? How should the creature, how should we worship the king of glory? Well, according to verse 4, we, the creature, are to worship the king of glory with clean hands and a pure heart. Friends, you see this psalm, like was mentioned before, this psalm was originally intended to be read in a liturgical way, call and response, back and forth where the priest would say one line, and the people of God would respond with the next line. So look with me at verse 3 and 4. Verse 3 and 4. Verse 3, the priest would ask, Who shall ascend the hill of Yahweh, and who shall stand in his holy place? And the people of God would respond, verse 4, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and who does not swear deceitfully. Rewind, in verse 1 and 2, the psalmist has told us exactly who this king is. He's the owner of everything. He's the creator of everything. Then assuming that we know verse 1 and verse 2, he goes on, verse 3 and 4, to tell us the standards of this king, the expectations of this king. So the question is this, who shall ascend the, king of, who shall ascend the hill of Yahweh? Who shall stand in his holy place? In other words, who is worthy? To stand before this holy God? Who is allowed to stand before this king of glory? The question there in verse 3, the questions asked by the priests, they're asked because they're intended to cause the listeners, to cause God's people to reflect humbly on their need for God. That's the intention of the questions in verse 3. Verse 3, the questions go out, and what would happen was that the people of God would reflect humbly on their need for divine mercy, on their need For repentance and acceptance by God. This liturgy is a solemn confession of dependence on the merciful grace of Yahweh. And all the Israelites knew. Every single gathered Israelite knew that the only one who could stand in Yahweh's holy presence was the one who was pure, inside and outside. What does it say? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Hands outside, heart inside. Righteousness outside, righteousness inside, that is the person that can stand before Yahweh. That is the person who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear deceitfully, but that is a person that can stand before God. The word in our Bibles, the word clean, can also be translated into the word innocent. So when we read clean hands, we can also read innocent hands. So that would mean someone who is free of guilt. That is someone who is blameless in their actions. It's an outward measure of inward character and righteousness. A pure heart, it shifts the issue of righteousness from external actions to the internal nature of a person. So this psalm would remind the people of God that right relationship with God is not determined by obedience to an external law alone, like they had, but actually integrity and holiness inside. Who they were when no one's looking. Just like God says to Samuel... In 1 Samuel 16, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Look with me at verse 4 to 6. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. The one who is righteous inside and outside, the one who is loyal and faithful to his God, the one who holds firmly onto truth, he is the one who can receive blessings from Yahweh. Those people who strive to live lives of holiness and righteousness before Yahweh, verse 6, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Friends, a quick side note here, verse 5 and 6 may seem to suggest that we qualify for this somehow. It may seem to suggest that we might try and earn this by our good deeds or by our righteous character. But we need to remember that even those under the old covenant law, even those who, were, who, were, who this was written to originally, even they knew that their approach to Yahweh must be first preceded by a blood sacrifice. Even they knew it was God's grace. Even they knew that for the cost of their sin was actually a blood sacrifice, a payment. Life for life. And because of this, these people, they looked to God, who they call their Savior. They knew that salvation was indeed by grace alone, not by works. Friends, so in this psalm, it is God who is holy. It is God who accepts the sinner. It is God who is righteous. It is God who provides His people with atonement, with a solution for the big problem of sin. It is God who is, in the words of this psalm, their Savior. Friends, the point of verse 3 to 6, it's not moralism. It's not perform your best so that God's holiness doesn't kill you. It's not try harder and be better and be a better Christian. That's not the point. The point of verse 3 to 6 is to show the Israelites and in turn to show you and me who it is that we're worshipping. He is the King of glory. He's not just my mate. He's not just some religious leader. This is God Almighty and the israelites and we we need to know that he is holy distinctly different set apart and that's the second point how how should we worship the king of glory well we should worship the king of glory with right actions and right attitudes we should worship the king of glory with love for truth and faithfulness and loyalty to the king so far This psalm has shown us why we should worship the king of glory, verse 1 and 2. How we should worship the king of glory, verse 3 to 6. Thirdly, this psalm shows us the identity of this king of glory. It shows us who he is. The final four verses of this psalm, it functioned as a liturgy of question and answer that's performed at the temple gate. You have to picture this in your minds. In this liturgy, the group of men, also known as David's mighty men, mighty warriors in battle, They've just won wars for God, right? In this liturgy, the group of men accompanying the ark to the temple gates, they go up to the ark. Geographically, it's uphill. They go up to the ark. I'm imagining thousands, thousands of people watching, cheering. It's a magnificent event. Mighty men carrying the ark. They get to the temple gates, and they stop. And they demand entrance. The function of this is, was to emphasize the glory, the weight of God's glory. The the function was to emphasize the strength, the might, the power, the majesty of Yahweh. See, you'll read in this psalm that the questions are actually repeated. The repeated questions come from within the temple courts. And the question is, who is this King of glory? Uh, The question that we see there, who is this King of glory? Uh, It's not really a question to find out who He is. They know who He is. But this question is asked... And then it's repeated to intentionally delay entrance so that the claims of Yahweh might be repeated in ever more exalted form, so that there can be no longer any doubt among all the attendees, all the worshippers, who this God is. It's intentionally delayed, so that just in case you missed it the first time, you get it the second time. Who is this king of glory, according to this psalm? He is the Lord Almighty or. The Lord of hosts, He is the King of glory. Verse 10. Look with me at verse 7 to 10 and picture the scene in your minds. Verse 7 to 10. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Who is this King of glory? Friends, this King of glory is Yahweh, God, the great I Am, the Lord of hosts, strong and mighty. Yahweh, the the Master, the Creator, the Owner of everything, the Holy One of Israel, the Vindicator, the Saviour, the provider, Yahweh. He is the King of glory. In verse 7, the gates are instructed to lift up the heads. And as you can guess, lift up your heads, that's metaphoric language. It's another way of saying, cheer up. It's another way of saying, be hopeful. It's another way of saying, look up. Cheer up, lift your chin, lift your face. Friends, verse 7 is reminding us, it's, it's announcing the hopeful and the glorious return of Yahweh. Think of how hopeful this is for all of God's covenant people. Finally, God has returned to his people. In the Ark of the Covenant, God's manifest presence has returned to God's people. And if you know the Old Testament, you know that where the Ark goes, they win battles. Where the Ark goes, the people of God are safe. That's why you see enemy nations trying to steal the Ark of the Covenant and crazy things like that. The Ark of the Covenant has returned to God's covenant people. It is reinstalled in God's royal city among God's royal people. Israel, Jerusalem, the Israelites. Friends, verse 7, what we see here, it's declaring and it's displaying visibly to all the worshipers that their God is here. God has arrived. This psalm, the coming of Yahweh, is combined with anticipation of judgment on the earth. This psalm tells us that Yahweh's coming will either result in great rejoicing and celebration for those who depend on him and seek him for salvation, or it will result in great judgment and damnation for those who do not. So, friends, in summary, this psalm, it magnifies the king of glory by showing us three things. Firstly, why we should worship this king of glory. Secondly, how we should worship him. And thirdly, who this king of glory is. But hold on, preacher. What does this mean for my life? You've told me a bunch of things about the Ark. You've told a bunch of things about the Israelites. But how does this apply to me here and now? What does this mean for me in Sydney in 2021? Friends, this psalm, it describes to us the royal procession of the Ark of the Covenant to the temple. Here's the thing. They were in a procession back then. You and I are in a procession now. But for us, it is no longer the Ark of the Covenant which leads his people in procession. But for us... It is the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who leads His redeemed people in royal procession to the dwelling place of the living God. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2. Paul says this, listen to this. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. Church, it is the Lord Jesus Christ who leads you and me in triumphal procession because He has conquered our great enemy, Satan, sin, and death. Because He has delivered you and me from our sin and the penalty of our sin. He is the one that has delivered you and me from the dominion of Satan and hell. Friends, in the Old Testament, it was the ark presence of God which led God's people in a royal procession to the temple in Jerusalem. But now, in 2021, it is the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who leads his covenant people, the church, in this royal procession to the new Jerusalem. He's leading us, not to a physical building, but to a temple made out of living stones, according to Peter. A temple made out of you and me, of worshippers, of those who have been saved by the blood of the Lamb. Where is he taking us? To this temple in the new Jerusalem our heavenly home, our eternal dwelling place where we will be with God and without sin. Friends, right at the end of the Bible, John writes this in Revelation. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. Church, can you see? Church, can you hear? Friends, it is Jesus Christ who leads us in royal procession. So, when the voice from within the New Jerusalem cries out, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in His holy place? We, the bride of Christ, the church, we shall respond The Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus, who has clean hands and a pure heart, who did not lift up his soul to an idol or swear deceitfully. Jesus is the one that takes us home, friends, and by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we will say, along with this psalmist, we have received blessing from Yahweh. We have received righteousness and vindication from the God of our salvation, not because of our righteousness, because we have none, but because of Jesus' righteousness that God has given to us freely in Him. We, the church, will enter the new Jerusalem, not because of our works, but because of Christ's works. Church, we have received tremendous blessings from Yahweh, have we not? We have received ridiculous mercy and grace. In spite of our sinfulness, in spite of our rebellion. But by the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been brought into this royal procession. Church, let me ask you, what will our response be? Well, I hope our response will be something similar to the words of this psalm Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? Jesus Christ, strong and mighty. Jesus Christ, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? Jesus Christ, the captain of the angelic hosts. Jesus Christ, he is the King of glory. So then may I ask you again, when we gather together each Sunday morning as a church family, when we meet with God each morning in our devotional lives, do we know who it is that we're dealing with? Friends, we are dealing with a majestic God who is a creator of heaven and earth. He is the all-consuming fire, infinite in power, but gentle and generous in his love toward us through his son, Jesus. A God who is so holy, yet who is so loving that he would give his one and only son to die for wretched sinners like you and me so that whoever believes in Jesus might not perish, but have eternal life. Friends, that is the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. That even though God is holy, even though He is perfectly righteous, that He would reach out His hand of grace and save sinners like you and me. That He would cause His own Son, the sinless one, the only human that didn't deserve to die, to die in our place for our sin, so that whosoever looks to Jesus and puts their faith in Him, will be forgiven, filled with the Holy Spirit, and saved. Friends, that is why we exist as a church. That is why we are on about reaching the nations with the gospel. That is why we work so hard at at, at, at discipleship, at evangelism, at accountability. That is the reason why we work so hard for personal holiness. That is the reason why we invite people to church. That's the reason why we share our testimonies to our workmates. That's the reason why we disciple our children, to grow in knowledge of God. Friends, God has called us, all believers, to love His Son and to live for Him. Friends, my hope and prayer for us as believers is that the Lord might so convict us of His majesty that He might show us anew the weight of His glory that He might show us anew the beauty of His Son, our risen Lord Jesus Christ, that you and I might be motivated, re-energized to proclaim the gospel in word and deed, to proclaim the gospel to every single person that will listen and every single person that won't listen because their eternity depends on it. Friends, may you and I live our lives boldly and courageously for the gospel so that Jesus might be made famous. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can call you our Father. Father, we thank you for your Son, who is the King of glory, that died in our place for us. Father, we pray that you might help us to never make the good news old news. Father, we pray that you would keep us from getting bored with the glorious gospel. Father, we pray that you might fill us anew with your Spirit, that you might awaken our souls. Lord, we pray that you might re-energize us to fix our gaze on our risen Lord Jesus, to be moved by him, to make his glory known in all the nations, starting here in Sydney. Father, we pray that through the ministry of this church, that thousands and thousands might be saved and to enter the new life and to join us in our royal procession. Make yourself known through us, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.